Welcome to show 19 of the C-Suite podcast. I'm Russell Goldsmith and this is the third show in the series of specials I'm producing on behalf of the World Public Relations Forum, which is taking place in Toronto from May the 29th to the 31st. Now, thanks to the team here in the studios of broadcast specialist marketeers, I'm able to chat to three guests today that have a nine-hour time difference between them. As joining me in, uh, for this month's show are three more speakers from the forum. Firstly, from her home in Vancouver, Canada, we have Christy Smith, founder of the Elite Communications Group. Uh, we'll be chatting to Christy in a second on the topic of cross-cultural behaviour change. Also on the line, but uh, moving from the northern to the western hemispheres of Vancouver to the southern and eastern hemisphere of Johannesburg, um, we are also joined by Daniel Munslow. Now, Daniel's principal consultant at VMA Group and director of MCC Consulting in South Africa. And Daniel is going to be giving us a preview of a new case study, uh, of a new um, study, sorry, that he's presenting in Canada on the latest communication trends in Africa. And to complete today's lineup and sitting with me here in the studio, it's a warm welcome back to one of the event's keynote speakers, Janet Morgan, for her second appearance on the podcast. Welcome, Janet. Thanks, Russ. Great uh, to be here. Good stuff. And uh, and as a reminder, Janet uh, Janet is the former director for uh, global content strategy and planning at GlaxoSmithKline. Um, now, as always, uh, we welcome your comments on any of the topics uh, that we discuss in the show. So please do get involved on your preferred social network. Um, if you're on Twitter in particular, then uh, please do use the hashtag hash c-suite podcast and if you stay with us till the end of the show we've got a special treat um, as we have a track to play us out from one of our previous podcast guests that's uh, singer-songwriter Janet Devlin um, so welcome to the show Christy uh, thanks for joining us so early in your morning there oh thanks for having me no, no problem at all. Um, now, Christy, the workshop you are going to be presenting at the event is on the topic um, PR tactics that build community and change behaviour. And uh, as I understand it, it features a case study in, uh, of a campaign that encouraged recycling of food scraps um, that you were involved in when you were employed with the city of Vancouver. So I was just really wondering if you can give us a quick synopsis of what the campaign was about, but importantly, why it, it fits into a conference with a theme of communication across cultures. Sure thing. Yeah, I'll just uh, start off by thanking the city, Russell and Edelman, and Alex Russell from Russell Strategies. It was really a team effort. Uh, you know, Vancouver is a gorgeous city in British Columbia, Canada, with a population of about 605,000 people. The city set a really ambitious goal of becoming the greenest city in the world by 2020. And part of this goal includes making efforts to reduce solid waste from going to the landfill by 50% from 2008 levels. And what this does is cut back on greenhouse gas, which is bad for the environment. And this is where the Green Bin program came into play. Uh, our goal was to get residents to recycle their food scraps, and then we can take those and turn them into compost to fertilize gardens. Uh, Vancouver is a very culturally diverse city. It's really a melting pot of cultures, and close to half of the population in Vancouver has an Asian heritage. In fact, 70% of recent immigrants to Vancouver are Chinese, and 17% of residents speak Chinese at home. So this was something that we really had to take into consideration in our communications around the Green Bin program. You know, today, business leaders, as you know, know that uh, intercultural savvy is really important. I mean, the workforce within our national borders is growing more diverse every day. So it's really about having a, an understanding of and deep respect for our differences. So, so you mentioned a number of different um, sort of ethnic backgrounds there. Could could you give us a, a you know an explanation of why you need to tailor the different messages uh, or the or the message for the campaign for each one? Well, we had to make sure that communications were not only accessible through translated materials, but took into account 
really specific value systems and ways of life. And so uh, we learned that behavior, a behavior change uh, agent was key. Um, we also needed to really tailor our messages to connect with the cultural groups. And, and the first step in the program, Russell, was to carry out research, of course, and do a pilot project. And, and what this involved was a number of focus groups and surveys and other kinds of research. And so, and so could you talk us through, so once you've sort of like gone through that pilot um, part of it, can you talk us through that and, and also, you know, any of the other key elements of, of the campaign? Sure. Uh, basically, uh, as I said, the findings in the pilot project determined that the key messages really needed to be tailored to resonate with various cultural groups. And it was interesting, for example, that Asian residents explained that the message you will create a legacy for future generations if you re uh, recycle your food scraps. Encourage them to do so more than the message recycling food scraps is good for the environment. We also found that a letter from the mayor, a position of power, really resonated more with them. And I mean, let's face it, uh, food scraps are nasty. <laughs> you know, they smell if, they, if they're kept around too long. and. They can attract undesirable creatures if they're not disposed of properly, and this was really a big deterrent for some residents. Sure. So it was a big challenge ahead of us. Um, Janet, when I mentioned to you, uh, you know, before the show that Christy is going to be talking about, um, you know, this campaign and, and behavioural change, you said that's the ultimate aim. Is is what you mentioned to me? What what's been your experience in this kind of work? Behavioural change is, is really difficult. And I mean, I think the results that Christie's got are amazing. If you look at, there's a group here in the UK that's called the Behavioural Insights Team working for the government. And one of the things that they've been trying to do is how you work through that behavioural change. They did a little activity trying to reduce the number of people who miss their hospital appointments on the basis that missed hospital appointments cost a lot of money. But the challenge that they had was actually you're not getting any more budget to do this. Somehow you have to do it for free. And one of the things they've created is this idea of it's called EAST. It's to make a behavioral change, it's got to be easy, attractive, um, social. And that doesn't mean social media. That mm. means other people do it and timely. And so what they did was went from this view. You used to get a text on your phone to say you've got an appointment at the hospital at such and such a time. If you want to find out more, call the number on your referring letter. Well, that's neither timely nor particularly easy. And they started to change it. One of the things they did was change it so it says, call this number if you need to change it. And that increased the number of people who were calling to change if they wanted to cancel. But the other thing they did, and this is the social bit, is they added something in that said, missing an appointment costs the NHS this much money. So if you need to change, call the number. And by the time they did that, and they compared this with, you know, a standard group, they found that they'd cut the number of people who missed their hospital appointments by 13% at no additional budget. So behavioral change, really difficult, but understanding what's going to motivate people or how to make it easy for them is part of the success. Christy, does that, that um, uh, acronym EAST, does that sort of resonate with the, the stuff that you've been doing there? It definitely does, Russell. Uh, you know, in our case, we used really uh, the three E's, uh, education, ed engagement, and enforcement. Uh, and I say enforcement because after a period of time, uh, the garbage was only picked up uh, every second week, whereas food scraps were picked up every week. So it became more challenging for residents not to recycle. 
so it was really um, enforcing uh, the change uh, near the middle of the campaign. But we really, uh, uh, our campaign worked because of a number of reasons. We were in touch with the results as the campaign progressed. We listened to feedback and we analyzed challenges. And we used a transmedia storytelling process. And, and we made it fun and engaging. Uh, we, we used um, something that we called ambassadors. And, and they, these individuals spoke different languages. They uh, communicated door-to-door and in their own cultural settings to really spread the message. Excellent. Um, I want to bring Daniel in uh, at this point. Obviously, we're going to be talking about your research shortly. Um, and this might be an obvious point, Daniel, that I'm going to make. But I, I guess anyone working on a behavioural change project must face an incredibly complex challenge across a continent with as much diversity as there is in, uh, in, in your part of the world in Africa. Absolutely, there is, um, Russell. And yes, when we talk about the research, that was actually identified as the number two of the top five challenges that communicators face on the continent. Um, There's some really good examples um, that we can bring in, specifically around corporate social responsibility, where you find that because the level of self-actualization of a lot of people that live on the continent is very different to people living in, in Canada, in the United States, on mainland Europe, in the UK, it's very important to adapt programs in order to drive the behavior change to make it resonate with the people that are receiving the message and, re- and are, are on the receiving end of that communication. Um, Christy, just coming back to your pilot program, um, I read that it, uh, you won an, an IABC Bronze Quill Award. I'm, I'm guessing you're pretty happy with that. Uh, certainly. It was, uh, as I said, a really a, a team effort. It was an ambitious initiative with a really incredibly successful outcome. So, uh, and what it what the award did was was really recognize the entire city's efforts and and my experience is that awards go a long way to reinforce the the value of good communications work. We're talking about the successful outcome. Can you share any of the of the results from the campaign that sort of would have helped you pick that up pick up that award? Well, the, what what was important about it, the campaign is uh, the residents are still recycling their food scraps today, so the results had a lasting sustainable impact, and so it really was a sustainable behavior change campaign. Uh, participation in the in the green bin program almost tripled uh, only three months after it began, and participation was 60% higher than the program's original goal. So uh, you, you take a look at the the results, and and we were really pleased with them. And it involved um, uh, just continually, uh, you know, reviewing the results, um, going into the green bins on the ground, and seeing if they were recycling, uh, right through to door to door communication. Uh, if certain communities were having uh, issues. Christy, I've got to ask, if you were giving advice to anybody else who needed to do this sort of cross-cultural campaign, what would you, or what would your advice be for them? Well, as Daniel said, I think research is is really key uh, to find out uh, what their values are and, and way of life is and, and work at connecting on them. I think uh, the ambassador program was a, a uh, really incredible, um, uh, successful initiative that worked. Uh, these people could go out to farmers markets, um, uh, door to door in their own uh, temples and other places to uh, share the message and communicate with different cultural groups. Also, images, of course, easy, make it easier to understand and more memorable when you're trying to communicate a message. Excellent. Well, I'm sure, you know, like all the uh, speakers that I've been interviewing over these sort of podcasts, it's going to be an interesting um, session. This, I believe, like me, this is going to be your first World PR Forum. Um, is that right, Christy? 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right, Russell. So what, what's, what's, what's your... Ex- great networking opportunity. What's your, expe- what's your expectations for it then? Uh, as I said, it will be a great networking opportunity. I think to learn what others in the industry are doing in their uh, countries will be fascinating. Uh, ultimately, I'd like to collect and, and distill the information from my contacts so that everyone here can uh, also benefit. Brilliant. Okay, well, look forward to meeting you uh, in Toronto in a few weeks. Um, we're back after a couple of quick messages to chat to Daniel on the current trends in communications in Africa. Consumers are 10 times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing, and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit conversus.com. Support for the C-Suite podcast comes from Broadcast Specialist Marketeers. Broadcast Specialist Marketeers. Market hires? Tears. Tears. Half of the world's most valuable brands. User Marketeers. Delivering stories and content on air, online and to mobile that capture attention. Marketeers. Switch on the power of broadcast. Very nice. I use Marketeers. You do? Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast and the third in the series of special podcasts being produced on behalf of the World PR Forum with me, Russell Goldsmith, uh, my guest here in the studio, Janet Morgan, uh, Christy Smith in Vancouver, Canada, and in Johannesburg, South Africa, Daniel Munslow, who we're going to chat to right now about the session he is presenting at the forum, where he'll be talking through the results of a recent study uh, his company carried out together with the Public Relations Institute of Southern Africa and the Africa region of the International Association of Business Communicators. And uh, it was looking into the key trends shaping business communications in South Africa. Um, Daniel, can you tell us, first of all, I guess, why VMA carried out this research and, and how you went about it? Yes, Russell, thanks. First of all, thanks very much for having me on the show. Absolute it's pleasure. Uh, great to share this information and obviously great to be able to share it on, uh, on the platform at the World PR Forum. In a nutshell, the reason why uh, VMA chooses to do this research is to look at what the best practice is and look for empirical evidence that provides insights into the way in which communication operates in the country and more broadly on the continent. I think if we look at uh, broader macroeconomic trends in terms of companies looking to invest in Africa, looking to expand their business into Africa, it's important to have a better understanding about what is happening on the continent, what the requirements are from a communication point of view, to better equip global organizations to make decisions when it comes to marketing and communication in Africa. Okay, now um, you very kindly sent me uh, a copy of the report ahead of this podcast, and I had a had a read through it. Um, and they actually, from what I sort of got from it, there seems to be quite a lot of negative findings, actually, such as cost cutting, teams shrinking, salaries being cut, a downward trend in expansion into Africa, a lessening in the influence of communications. Um, there was a few of these things, and an increase in the shortage of good skills and talent, and finally the fact that. A third of communicators say their leadership's ability to communicate with their stakeholders is a major business concern. So um, there's a few challenges right there for the South African communications industry, isn't there? There are indeed, Russell. I think if we if we look at the top five challenges, uh, the most important thing, in my view, is to look at this in the broader macroeconomic and socio-political context that South Africa is facing at the moment. I think everybody around the world is aware of some of the political challenges um, that, we're under, that we're facing at the moment. And also from a macroeconomic point of view, I mean, we're dealing with growth that is sitting at about 0.8% growth in our GDP uh, in the current fiscal, and that is down from a forecast of 5%. So there are bigger trends that are contributing to this. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to look at it within that context. Mm. But I think, Russell, if we look at just very quickly the top five challenges, and obviously I'll deep dive into these 
um, at the conference. But as you very rightly said, downward pressure on budget is the number one concern among communicators. And when you're dealing in a country that's growing at 0.8%, you can understand why. Um, that increased, for example, from 22% as the number one challenge last year to 58% um, of communicators saying that's the number one challenge this year. Um, number two um, of the challenges is the number and complexity of key audiences. That's about 36% of communicators saying um, that it's difficult to communicate to such a heterogeneous audience um, segmentation. So you look just at South Africa alone with 11 official languages across nine provinces. When you deal in mining in some of the areas, very important for global mining companies to take into account, they actually have a vernacular that's entirely unique onto themselves within that community, and one needs to at least appreciate that uh, complexity. Leadership's ability, as you pointed out, one out of three communicators is concerned that leaders aren't talking especially to employees enough, but more broadly to stakeholders. And yes, skills shortage is something um, that has concerned communicators for some time. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of conversations take place with the Public Relations Institute of Southern Africa to improve the business acumen and strategic insight um, already from an academic level as they come into the industry. And then finally, silos within organizations was something that wasn't even flagged in the 2015 research, and we're already filing the finding that um, there needs to be more communication between um, HR, organizational development, um, the internal comms teams, et cetera, in order to start bridging those gaps. So at a very, very high level, those are the top five challenges. So can you tell us some good news? <laughs> you know, Russell, there is, uh, there is actually some very good news. I think if, uh, if we look further at future-proofing um, the industry, we do see that approximately 90% of communicators either agree or strongly agree that the influence that communication exists within the business is going to increase. And I think that's probably a very strong positive point that comes on the back of these challenges. When you face challenges like this, you have to have the increased influence in the business to drive re positive reputation management, to drive the behavior change, to improve employee retention that you're looking for. And I think that's, uh, that's very encouraging. I think another thing that's very encouraging, um, whilst, yes, 28% of uh, people said that their teams have shrunk in the past year on the back of retrenchments and redeployments, 30% of companies said that it's increased and 40-odd percent have remained the same. So 70% is looking stable, and I think that's some good news at the very least to Excellent. share. Well, now, given the uh, theme of the uh, World PR Forum, um, you know, is, which is uh, communication across cultures, I, I just want to pick up on one particular aspect of the survey that I spotted when I was reading it, and that was the increase uh, viewed by employees um, in the importance of having cultural skills. Um, and, and you, you actually mentioned uh, yourself just a, a second ago about the number of languages you've got, um, you know, in, in South Africa alone. And, and so one would assume in a continent with such diversity, you know, that would be a prerequisite for, for a comms role. But do you think employers understand the importance of it? I think in reality, there is a perceived lack of understanding among global employers when it comes to embedding the right cross-cultural messages and just having a greater appreciation of um, the nature of cultures and people within different countries, within different communities. Um, when, I, when I was looking at my notes for the podcast, um, I'm actually going to go off those notes for a second because I had a very interesting example yesterday when I was actually having a, a CSI uh, workshop with a client looking at corporate social responsibility. And it was very interesting because it was a global organization that was trying to land a corporate social responsibility program within this particular organization that's in retail. And what they found was globally, 
because employees are, are sometimes or potentially more self-actualized, they could go on a CSI program around, uh, around uh, encouraging a reduction in CO2 emissions and, uh, reduction and improvement in overall global status. When you're dealing with an environment in this particular country where 60% of people don't even have their own mode of transport to get to work, they use public transport, taxis, etc., it actually didn't resonate with them. Quite frankly, it meant nothing to them. They are worried about putting bread on the table at the end of the month. So in South Africa, for example, if you're looking at a corporate social responsibility program, it's more important to um, look at the fundamentals of building a future middle class, uplifting a community, um, ensuring that people can graduate high school with math so that they can go into future jobs like being scientists and actuaries and doctors. So there's a very, very fundamental element of trying to make the world a better place globally when locally people are saying, can I actually just get it right in my community? Yeah. And that's just a very practical, recent example that's top of mind. And if employers don't appreciate those cultural nuances and how different they are, they will fail in that global cultural alignment. Sure. Janet, when uh, you were at uh, GSK, did, what kind of challenges did you face when you were sort of producing content for the African continent? It was very much as Daniel's suggesting about the complexity of the audience, the many different languages and, and the nuances. So, for instance, one of the activities that GSK was involved in is about educating about how malaria is transmitted. And the groups that you're reaching quite frequently are very remote. They may not read. Um, so you can't do it in writing. You can't give these communications out in writing. How do you explain it? How do you tell the healthcare professionals that are seeing them, you know, the memorable messages? And one of the things that ultimately ended up doing was a little handout card with pictures on it to explain how the mosquito was the thing that transmitted malaria and used the bed nets and these various activities. But the other really interesting thing that Daniel was just talking about there with the CSR message is something that we used to see at GSK, not just in Africa, but actually in the States. And one of the things that we found was that a lot of the messages that would resonate over in Europe and the UK, particularly about a, a global approach, maybe a global approach to expanding access to medicines, didn't work in the US because the issue in the US is quite frequently about the cost of medicines there. So the US messages were about the access programs that they put in place for the less well off there. Mm. Um Daniel, I want to come back to another part of, of your report. Um, you covered off the use of digital and social media in, in the research, but um, particularly with regards to internal comms, and that's an area with, that uh, we regularly return to on the C-Suite podcast. Can you share any of the key findings on that topic? Yes. Russell, there's some good news in this as well uh, in terms of how many companies are using um, different platforms, uh, both internally and externally. But uh, for the purpose of, of looking at the internal side here, we did ask uh, respondents to indicate the type of enterprise social networks that they use. And it was very nice to see quite a, quite a strong increase in collaborative tools. So we all know that very large global organizations use enterprise systems like SharePoint and the like, uh, but it was also, so, and, and sorry, to use them as um, document repositories to create a collaboration in terms of sharing. But there's been quite a drastic increase in terms of the use of collaborative tools like Yammer and Huddle and IBM Connections. And it's nice to see that organizations are increasingly trying to enable their workforces to have conversations, to have discussions, to um, comment on various situations. And obviously, that has to be managed very carefully and very, and very structurally. But it is nice to see that there's an improvement on that. It is a bit concerning to see that from an internal comms point of view, 48% of respondents still said 
that their businesses do not at the moment make use of um, enterprise social networking. But I think um, the caveat to that figure came in the next question, and this is something I will do a deep dive into at the conference with regards to why organizations um, don't uh, or identify social media as a challenge or as a concern. And the top three areas that came out were very interesting. 44% of respondents said that their senior managers did not want to invest in social media because they weren't convinced on the return on investment. And that points to a much more basic communication requirement around sound measurement. Um, earlier in the research, we also asked, and we found that approximately 62% of respondents actually still don't measure their internal communication. So that would therefore lead and correlate nicely to the finding that saying executives don't understand the return on investment. Mm -hmm. The second one was a lack of time, and I think that also resonates very well when you understand the shortage of skills and um, the downward pressure on budgets. And the third one was very interesting, and I think it resonates globally, is the fear of sharing something inappropriate. Once it's out there, it's out there. You know, you can delete the tweet, you can remove it, but chances are it's been cached somewhere, um, somebody's got access to it, took a screenshot of it or whatever the case might be. And I think it's a, a significant reality in today's environment. How do you make sure that what you do put out there uh, reflects the values and ethos of the organization? And Russell, I know we don't have a huge amount of time, but just a very quick example no, on this was really interesting. Um, one uh, In uh, late last year, we had a situation where one of the leading retailers in South Africa um, actually publicly tweeted to a journalist to please remove her story from a website where it was published. Right. Now, I would certainly <clears throat> classify that under fear of saying something inappropriate. Yeah. Um, the backlash to that was phenomenal in terms of people saying that it's censorship and why, do we, why are we on social media when you're acting like you're in the 80s? There were some really interesting comments. I won't share the, the ones that would cause too many bleeps on the podcast. But it, it does demonstrate a very fundamental strategic imperative to understand why is it that we – or how is it that we need to understand strategic social media versus operational social media. It's one thing to have somebody following a manual that says, do this, do this. Um, if there's a swear word, you've got to ask somebody to remove it or whatever the case might be. But there's also a strategic view of saying, why shouldn't I become part of the conversation and drive a um, – co-create a conversation – as opposed to just telling somebody to remove it. Yeah. And I think a shortage of those insights is leading to people to be a bit scared of the unknown. Interesting. Um, so just quickly, if any of our listeners want to get a copy of the report, because I believe it's it's now published, isn't it? Where, where do, where do yes, they need to go to? We actually launched it uh, just this week, so it is hot off the press. So how can and they... If anybody uh... would like a copy, they're welcome to get hold of me to get it. And my email address is um, dmunslow at vmagroup.com. Excellent. Um, now, while we have you on the line, I understand uh, you are the regional chair for the IABC Africa. So, uh, chance to give them a, a quick plug. Do you want to tell us what they do? Sure. Um, IABC Africa is um, the board as a region that is responsible for a number of chapters that operate communities of communicators across Africa of members of IABC. Uh, we have communities based in Nigeria, Tanzania. We have a group of members at large and then a number of chapters in South Africa. Um, on an annual basis, we run a world conference, uh, sorry, a regional conference, which is linked to obviously the IBC World Conference that's taking place in Cape Town in November. 
And I would very much like to um, take this opportunity not only to plug it, but to say that if anybody gets hold of me as a result of this podcast, we will offer them a 10% discount on attending the conference. Excellent. Uh, it's always great to have people visit our wonderful country, so why not be able to do something like that? And yeah, as a, as a branch of the IBC worldwide, we obviously offer um, all the other benefits of access to information, best practice research, and uh, networking opportunities as well as certification. Brilliant. But uh, yeah, instead of just plugging it, let's give them the benefit. No, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and Christy, you've been uh, patiently sitting there during this second half of the of the uh, of the podcast. So let's come back to you for a, a quick plug for Elite Communications Group. Do you want to tell us what you what you do there? Oh, thanks so much, Russell. The Elite Communicators Group was formed a year ago, and also known as ECG. It's a networking group for senior communicators uh, to share ideas and opportunities. So what we do is work with other communicators to facilitate activities, host blog pieces, and other information on our website. Uh, our latest Lunch and Learn was how to work with recruiters. We have upcoming webinars. So send in a request uh, via our comment form online at elitecommunicatorsgroup.com to learn more. Brilliant. Um, well... I, I, I guess I should ask Janet because she's sitting here. Anything for you to plug at all? She's sitting there like, no. <laughs> Just your C-suite. Ah, thank you very much. Um, excellent. Well, um, that's it. That's great. Uh, that actually wraps up another C-suite podcast. Um, now, don't forget, um, it's not too late to register for the World PR Forum to see uh, my three guests today. Um, so that's Christy Smith, Daniel Munslow and Janet Morgan, um, who I would like to thank again, all three of them, for joining me on the show. And uh, and you can find out all the details about the event and um, all of their presentations at worldprforum.com. Now, of course, uh, all three of today's guests will be in Toronto uh, with the guests from the previous two uh, C-Suite podcast shows, which I really do encourage you to download, to listen, because um, we've covered off some... Uh, some pretty good topics actually in, in all of those including and I've made a list of them here understanding culturally aware communications localization challenges challenges in internal communications across countries and cultures and design thinking just to name a few um, now you can hear those previous shows in fact all the previous podcasts in a series if you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes uh, by searching for the C-Suite podcast in the iTunes store and as always, um, please do take the time to give us a decent rating and review whilst you're there. Um, but if you want to get in touch with me directly about the show, you can find me on Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith um, and, uh, or just drop us a line um, using the contact form at, at uh, csweetpodcast.com. So all that remains for me to do is thank Marketeers for hosting us, patching in uh, Christy from Canada and Daniel from South Africa. And finally, as promised at the top of the show, and having just mentioned the previous guests, um, back in show five, we recorded a show all about fan engagement in the music industry with singer-songwriter Janet Devlin. And so, given we're recording today's show on a Friday, to play us out from her album Running With Scissors, here's Janet's cover of one of my favourite songs by The Cure. This is Friday I'm In Love. Thanks for listening and goodbye. I don't care. If Monday's blue, Tuesday's grey, or Wednesday too, Thursday I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. Monday you can fall apart. Tuesday, Wednesday break my heart. Thursday doesn't even start. It's Friday, I'm in love. Saturday you wait. Sunday always comes too late Friday never hesitate I don't care if Monday's black Tuesday, Wednesday, heart attack Thursday never looking back It's Friday, I'm in love
are ten times more likely to buy goods or services if addressed in their own language. Conversus enables international businesses to communicate their message across different languages and cultures. For translation and localization of your PR comms and website content, multilingual desktop publishing, and audio dubbing and subtitling of videos, visit Conversus.com. This podcast is produced by the broadcast specialist Marketeers, delivering stories and content on air, online, and to mobile that capture attention. To find out how we can help you influence the reputation of your brand or change the behaviour of your audience, contact us today.